Thanks for joining us today on Uptime Logistics, powered by Cap Logistics. I'm your host, Doug Draper, with the Denver Transportation Club. And today's guest is Pete Mento with Crow LLP. Uh, Crow is a public accounting and consulting firm. And what Pete does specifically within the organization, he's the managing director for global customs and duties. And there's nobody better to have this conversation with uh, today than Pete. So we're going to jump into this thing. Um, it's about the coronavirus and logistics and its implications, and pretty much the unintended consequences of this worldwide pandemic. Um, it's just the start, and uh, the supply chain fallout uh, is going to be felt long into the future. So the timing is perfect. Pete was available to come in and talk, and like I said, he's he's quite the expert to uh, to join us and, and talk a little bit about it. So, you know, one thing I was at a trade show last week, and, and the whole catalyst for this discussion was. Um, a friend of mine said he just got an email and his supply chain was about to be blown up because he was smart enough to do some other sourcing outside of China, but all the materials that he makes or that he uses are sourced from China. So his factory is ready to rock and roll, but uh, they can't get any supplies. And then you factor in the Chinese New Year and how things have been delayed and there's some uncertainty with that. Uh, and he said, I don't know what's going to happen for, for spring and summer. So that was kind of like, hey, this is important for, for the audience to learn about and, and to know more about. So Pete, thanks for, for, for jumping in. Um, so we're going to kind of take this thing in, in a little bit of buckets. And so um, let's talk about the manufacturing side, right? That's a little bit uh, people may not, may not have. Uh, I've heard about it's people and move movement of people, but uh, the supply chain and the manufacturing. So, give us your thoughts on how the coronavirus and you know we use the term um, um, a pandemonium, if you will, of what's going on out there, specific to manufacturing. So, in your in your day to day life, what have you been hearing about how manufacturing is it being impacted? We we can never forget that. Manufacturing and the supply chain, although it's 2020, and regardless of what Mr. Yang and Elon Musk say, people still matter. And automation has not fully taken over the process of producing goods. When people are out of work and when people are unable to come to work, it has a follow on effect. Mm -hmm. And unintended consequences are, are a real problem in our industry. So what I've heard so far is the inability of people to come in and do their jobs, either because they've been banned from being on the streets, uh, they're unable to come in because they're ill for fear of coming in, added to the fact that it's Chinese New Year. So we've, we've, we're already dealing with that, right? You know, anybody who's a, and I'm not sure if everyone in the audience is a transportation and logistics and trade professional, you know, but um, we should probably talk about Chinese New Year and the fact that there's a period of time where in Asia, business sort of slows down to a crawl and stops. There's a amazing moments of activity beforehand that all of us gear up for, and then it slows down a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then it gets crazy again once it starts up again. So this, uh, this, this happened at an interesting time. I have a lot of clients who are dealing with this situation that you're talking about right now, an inability to get raw materials uh, company can trim and products from parts of China simply because, or and also a fear of starting up that supply chain again because the products that they need are coming from an area of China that simply they can't get a hold of. Also, there's a tremendous amount of fear about finding space on on conveyances, whether it's air or ocean. Uh, we were talking before we started rolling about passenger aircraft, 
and the fact that so many passenger aircraft simply aren't moving, right? So um, having access to this stuff is going to be an issue for manufacturing. Um, and it's, it's a follow-on effect. It's dominoes. One falls, the rest falls. Yeah, that's uh, it's unbelievable. And I think the last statistics that I showed up, there's 23 municipalities and, and provinces in China that are just on shutdown. They just don't want people gathering. That's the, the key factor. And that's how things spread. And and, and things are just, uh, it's unbelievable. You mentioned Chinese New Year, and some of our guests may not be familiar with that. So, um, it's every year, obviously, because it's the new year and it always happens uh, end of January, first part of February. And it's Two, two weeks, 10 days. Tell us what that time frame is. About that. It's dependent on the Lunar New Year. And uh, it's an important holiday culturally. And also, it's a time when people go back, back to where they're, they're from. You know, a lot of folks work in a part of China, live in a part of China they're not from. Like a lot of people in the West. Think about yourself. I mean, many of us go back to our hometowns during the holidays to go back and visit our families. It's why it's the busiest travel time of the year during Thanksgiving and Christmas time. Mm -hmm. So imagine if you will, not a country of 350 million people like America, but rather one of 1.4 billion. And all of these people who are returning back, many of them to where they come from and the number of people who from one particular part of the country where maybe the sickness could be who could travel. And I think it's important we also talk about the fact that now, I was saying to you also, uh, a, a friend of mine who's a physician who said it's the people who are already at risk from one of these viruses who are probably going to die from it. But the sickness of it is a problem. I just saw before we started, there's a, a little shy, they're saying a little less than 25,000 people infected and a little less than 500 people have died. And who knows about those statistics, about the validity of them. Every tinfoil-hatted person in the world who believes in um, you know, all, these, uh, all these theories says that those probably aren't true. And who knows? You know, in America, I think we're up to 10 cases mm-hmm. that they've talked about. Um, but something that spreads so quickly and, and can move so rapidly through that workforce, having it move at that same time throughout the country could be devastating. Right. So they're doing what they can keep people where they are, and then to extend the Chinese New Year uh, more days. I believe um, you know, it's going to go till the 9th and then in some places through the 13th, oh. which is quite a long time. Yeah. But to give people a chance to celebrate, to go home. See right. Yeah. And um, in the supply chain world, Chinese New Year, people know it's a two-week disruption and all of a sudden it's a three-week. So, if you have a good or a commodity that needs to be in the U.S. for a summer sales season or commitments for manufacturing or this widget needs to be here so this machine can operate to make this product here in the United States. Two weeks, yeah, we planned for that. Three weeks, didn't plan for it. Everything just gets exasperated and and uh, and things get a little little crazy. Let's talk about the uh, you said conveyance, right? We have the the uh, steamship lines and the airlines and things of that nature. It's easy to turn off a plane and say we're not gonna we're not gonna fly. A little more difficult to say we're not sailing a vessel. Talk about how the the implications and even the fallout when things are finally quote unquote turned back on. Um, what's the implications for the transportation side of the supply chain, primarily getting from Asia over to the U.S.? So there's two things I wanted to specifically talk about here. The first is we're already hearing about blank sailings where people are moving physically empty vessels from Asia to the U.S. You have an empty ship, and think about that. Think about the effect that that has on the revenue side and for the shareholders of those shipping companies. That's not good. Mm -hmm. And these shipping companies are going to find that 
pound of flesh, right? And I'm no Nostradamus, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend to understand transportation rates. That's for friends of mine like, you know, Mr. Kelly over at Expeditors to, to do. Um, but I, I, will, I will say this, whenever Chinese New Year ends, you have a backlog. And even a, a freshman in, in macroeconomics can tell you that with supply being low and demand being high, prices generally go up anyway. So at the end of Chinese New Year every year, people tend to see uh, you know, an inflation on pricing for a while while there's a run on space and a difficulty getting that space. Well, imagine if, um, if that backlog is bigger and also if it's been longer. So you can expect that, that, that those pressures on price to be upward would be even higher. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I can't speak directly to how, what those numbers will probably be. But again, you don't have to have be a Nobel laureate in economics to figure it's probably going to be higher than usual, sure. and that demand will be higher than usual, and space will be at a premium. So, if I were one of our listeners, I would probably already be in touch with my providers, saying, "What are you going to do to ensure that I have space on those vessels?" Sure. Do you think there'll be a coronavirus surcharge? I mean, we've seen that in peak season surcharges. We've seen it in bunker fuels. Do you think it's going to have that level um, of implication where, hey, here's a flat 400 bucks because we had to reposition boats all over the world? What are your thoughts on that? Would not surprise me if they came up with a, with a name for it. I hope they won't call it the, the virus surcharge. <laughs> I would think that's hysterical, but I don't know if they would do that. Uh, but putting together something like that would not shock me. Um, I think that the the more likely outcome would be that they'll just hide it in the in the, in the general cost of it. I think you know something else to keep in mind is the ability for shipping companies to pull a force majeure about something about this. Mm. It's an act of God. Yeah, an act of God. We we couldn't see this coming. Right. So you know their ability to manipulate rates based on that begins to go in different different directions too yeah. of how much they can raise them, and that becomes pretty complicated. Yeah. Yeah, that that's a, an excellent point because we never saw it coming and to be honest, we don't know when it's going to end. Yep. You know, we don't know what's going to happen next week or next month. It could get substantially worse or 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 whatever. You you'd mentioned the uh you referred to it as blank sailings, right? So the boat's got to get and that's obviously to reposition because there's product in the US or South America or wherever that needs to continue to move. Uh, are there going to be blank sailings back to China to reposition the boats where you got this vessels moving all over the world with nothing on them? Do you think that would be in that? If it goes long enough, if it goes long enough, they need containers, you need chassis, you need all these things. So if it goes long enough, I would imagine. So, you know, um, I am, I am old, fat, gray and bald enough to remember when SARS happened Mm -hmm. and the, uh, the outcry wasn't as bad. I don't know. I think SARS had its own, you look at it now, if you're on Instagram or Facebook, if you're on the Instagrams or the Facebook, you know, like the kids say, if you do the Snapchats, right. you see a lot of the, a lot of the memes and the jokes right now about this. It, it is, people are making light of it. They're joking about it. There's a once bitten, twice shy attitude about this virus because we all remember SARS and the swine flu and the effect it had on the business. I, I posted, it was a you know, $40 billion global economic impact. So there's a once bitten, twice shy attitude now of we're not letting that happen to us again. Mm-hmm. We're going to take more drastic, impactful measures right away. We're going to get engaged much earlier than we did before. 
And if that means we have to move ships, that means that we have to move ships without cargo on them. So be it. Mm-hmm. I had a, a professor at the Maritime Academy. His name was Charlie Weeks, Captain Weeks. He spoke to pipes, so we called him Stinky. Stinky. <laughs> uh, and, and one of the things he drilled into our heads over and over again is that um, a ship only makes money when it's quote unquote full and down, which means that it's full of cargo and down to its watermark, meaning that it's, it's, it's full of cargo. Mm-hmm. There isn't an open space on it. The last thing these shipping companies want to do is blank sailings. Last thing they want to do is move cargo, uh, move, move containers with nothing in them. So they, they will do everything they can to make up that money on other people's cargo. Mm-hmm. And I, I have a feeling you're going to see that, uh, that happen whenever this, this crisis clears. Yeah. Yeah. So you, one of your uh, expertise is obviously with trade agreements. We've been on to talk about that in the past, right? So that that's a policy in place. Um, this is more of the pandemic. It's not related. Specific, well, it's related to, to, to movement. But how does this impact the trade agreements that are constantly in motion, right? We have some things that are changing just most recently. Does it have an effect? Does it not have effect? Is it TBD? What are your thoughts related to uh, trade agreements and this disruption? Where this could have a disruptive effect, and it's unlikely, but you know, I have to be the guy that ruins everything. I get paid to be paranoid. So <laughs> right. where, where, where something could go wrong is that um, there's an expectation that China buys a certain amount of stuff from us. And there could be um, an economic downturn could come from this. Mm-hmm. You know, let's, let's be realistic. If you have the largest collection of human beings on the planet that are all staying home and not spending money. That could be bad for the largest physical, second largest physical economy on the planet. Mm -hmm. And if they're not making money, maybe they're not going to live up to their financial commitments that they agreed to in the phase one deal. I don't think that's going to happen. You know, I think that, that the things that they agreed to buy like agricultural products, Chinese people are still going to eat. Um, the service agreements that they went into, automotive aircraft, it's probably still likely to happen. Does this mean that the Chinese focus their attention more on domestic matters to manage things at home? I think so. But the phase two part of the agreement, I don't think was ever really going to be focused on to any great effect really until after the election anyway. Um, probably, you know, in the first year of the president's second term if he wins. So um no, I'm not. I'm not so sure about that. Yeah. I think that the you know the broader effect from a trade perspective is you've got a lot of people who are staying at home, not working. You have a lot of people who are fearful right now of traveling, um, and the effect, the again, the follow-on effect that that has, the free rider effect that that has on all sorts of other parts of the economy, fuel prices, space and logistics, the ability to turn out new products. Imagine if you have a product launch in the spring of 2020. And you're expecting that to move on air freight. You've just increased your logistics cost if you can get it out of the country to begin with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Even even if you're willing to spend more money, I mean, literally, sorry, it doesn't exist, right? That that conveyance is is uh, is shut down. Which uh, I I always talk about Amazon. People think that I'm obsessed with that company, and maybe I am. But (laughs) you know, they uh, they lease a obscene amount of cargo aircraft just obscene amount of space and they they take up so much room they're going to do that no matter what mm-hmm. they have a brand expectation to deliver whatever people buy from that website and they're changing the very face of commerce 
virus be damned. All right. And there, that, that expectation that their clients have is going to also make it more difficult for brand X to live up to theirs. And they don't have the money that Amazon does mm-hmm. or the cachet or the freight. So they may find themselves on the outside looking in saying, what about my stuff? Trying to get their things into the, into the country. So I mean, you and I have been in this business long enough. You know, there, there's, there's customers that, that rattle their checkbooks hard enough. and We jump when that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, uh, so what do we expect in the future? Right. I mean, it's like, so I'm a guy or a gal out there and I'm making a widget overseas. Like what advice do you have to say, here's what you should be doing, or here's a couple things that you would recommend in the 30 to 60 day range. So, um, you know, I keep talking about how old I'm getting, uh, I'm getting so old that I'm getting tired of telling the same stories. <laughs> okay. So, uh, I'm getting tired of saying the same things to people and no one listening to me, particularly my daughter who yeah. I love. She does not listen to me. Yeah. And, you know, I tell her all the time, you should learn from my epic Herculean mistakes that your father has done. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't look. All right. So, um, Mardi Gras is happening for people who know me. I spend most of my time this time of year in New Orleans um, making really bad decisions involving alcohol mm-hmm. and um, you know skirting around a number of, of, of decency laws in the greater Louisiana area. Um, and Louisiana is a very important place to me. New Orleans is a very important place to me. And when Katrina happened and I went down there, there was a... Um, there was a spray painted along a wall. Someone had spray painted hope is not a strategy in big, like three foot orange mm-hmm. spray painted letters. Hope is not a strategy. Right. And I stood there and I'm not embarrassed to admit that I cried big old crocodile tears because mm-hmm. of the enormity of all that hit me, the city I loved, they tried to drown it. You know, all these people had been moved away and the soul of that town was just crushed. And I thought about that, you know, we always hoped that the big storm wouldn't come. We hoped that the, uh, the levees wouldn't break. We hoped if they did, that the city wouldn't flood. We hoped that if the city was going to flood, we get the people out in time. We hoped that if we couldn't get the people out in time, that we'd be able to put them all up and keep them safe. We hoped that the federal government would rebuild the city. We hoped and hoped and hoped and hoped did not work out real well. Mm-hmm. And when I, whenever this crap happens, viruses, port strikes, um, terrorist attacks, you name it, man. Everybody hoped that it wasn't going to be a problem. They never have a plan B. And logistics has become so precise because we're good at it. Mm -hmm. And particularly American companies, we treat logistics like a science. And all it took was for a bunch of very important people on the production side to start coughing, sneezing, and vomiting. And all of our best made plans of mice and men fell apart like a sandcastle. We did not have a plan B. When President Trump decided that he was going to start the 301 tariffs and just, I mean, throw a dumpster of ranches into the mix. Most companies, no plan B. This is yet another example of people needing to have had a plan B and sitting down and find, maybe this will be the slap in the face, the the smack in the face with the shovel of wisdom that they needed to have had a second option 
or to have come up with some other way to have prepared. If you are hoping that you get through this without, a, without an issue, you're nuts. Mm-hmm. If you're hoping that in the course of the next 10 months, that when Brexit gets sorted out, you're going to be, you'll be fine. Your transfer pricing is going to be in good shape. That and duty aren't going to be an issue. We still going to distribute no problem. You're a moron. <laughs> and it's not going to work out, bro. It's not going to work out. And someone in your audit committee or one of your shareholders or one of your customers is going to say, I'm surprised one of you didn't look into this a year ago and take a look at this. Mm-hmm. So my advice to people is this is yet another instance where God, Vishnu, whatever you believe in is saying to you, you need to consider things going horribly wrong. Yeah. Do you think it's too late to get a plan B? No, absolutely not. For this particular situation. Even this particular situation, uh, there, there are always people who can produce for you. I think that let's say, and, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very religious man and I pray to God this would never happen, but let's say that things go terribly wrong in China and they make this a, a 60, 90 day long shutdown. Mm-hmm. because if they don't, it could have a catastrophic effect for the health of those people over there. Now what? This is the time now to say widgets A, B, C, D, and E, which are critical for our production, can be made in Cambodia, Vietnam, Malaysia, Indonesia, Mexico, whatever the case may be, and work it out. Mm-hmm. Indiana, Oklahoma, I don't know. Right. But find some good place to make these parts. Yeah. No? So I would imagine based on all of the, you know, emergency plan B and reactionary is not going to be the best for for pricing and structure as a general consumer. So we talked a little bit about I own a business. Where's your plan B? Get a plan B. As a consumer, I'm thinking that uh, anything I would pretty much consume or purchase is going to increase. Uh, we could see those uh, prices delayed a little bit. Uh, meaning sure. in, in a couple of months, but uh, be prepared to pay more money from for your stuff. Uh, basically, is kind of what I'm thinking. Is that a good? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think it could. I think that the the increases. You know, let's let's be realistic, right? The increases will probably be nominal, and will the seller of the goods consume that in their profit margin in order to continue the sale at that price? I think the broader question. You bring up an excellent point. Uh, in a bigger sense, we have seen so many upward pressures on price in the past year and a half, whether it's increases to domestic and international prices for transportation, significant increases in warehousing costs, significant increases in tariffs for companies that never had them before. Um, and now you have delays to production that could be possible for a lot of companies moving their entire supply chain to other countries. These costs will eventually turn up on the price tag. Will the U.S. company decide to swallow that as part of their margin or pass it on to the client? I don't know. Yeah, That's for them. Yeah. Well, you'd mentioned there's so many things and situations that have happened in the last year. Okay, I'll absorb this one. Uh, okay, I'll absorb this <laughs> next one. At some point, you can't swallow it anymore, right? You just, you, you can't. And yeah. uh, it, it'll it'll how, be interesting. How long have you been in this business, Doug? How, how many years? Twenty five. Okay, so um, you and I can both agree that this is a business where things just go just magnificently wrong all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, what other business can you be in where where like snails on the inside of the container can just wreck everything? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I remember one time that uh, there was a migration of bison going across a highway that caused like a, a, a an enormous like bumper to bumper car crash, like in Wyoming or Montana or something, and closed a major highway for two days. Mm-hmm. Like strange things that you could never consider. And those, you know, how you know something like that's going to happen? Our life, since we were young men with hope before cynicism ruled us, <laughs> you know, our, our life is, is mostly about putting out fires, about reacting, yeah. you know? Yeah. And um, I, I would love to visit, and I know you're the same way. I love our clients. I love our customers. Many of them are very close friends of mine. And I, I would love to see them not endlessly have to deal with fixing things reaction wise and just yeah. being able to, you know, do the work up front and things move a little more, more, more smoothly. For yeah. Well, we'll have to do one of these podcasts with uh, some gin and tonics or some some whiskey and just uh, a story swap because I'm just thinking through my mind of all the crazy things in 25 years that have come up exactly like that. Like, how could you ever have predicted that anomaly would happen and the impact no. that that it would have? You know, and this is a, a one of those examples. So it's pretty amazing. Take, take into consideration one more thing, okay? Mm-hmm. So if if they were to to put this delay into 60 days. And let's say that, that they somehow something were to happen and it would be a 60 day delay out of China. Now that just seems absurd. Right. And I don't think that's likely, but five years ago, would you have thought it was likely that the U S would put a up to 25% tariff on practically everything being sent here from China? No, we have to expand our minds to believe, that the impossible could be possible because we need to be prepared to have ideas already in our head because someone's going to ask us, why didn't you think this could have, could have happened? Yeah. Yeah. And be ready when it, when it does. So, you know, to, to really look at the things we talked about today, for those people who don't have a plan in place, they should already start considering it in case this becomes a long drawn out protracted issue. Yeah. Secondly, and, and probably more importantly, this will have a follow-on effect on pricing once once the delays begin to end. And it will also have an effect on space because it's going to be a longer delay than usual. There's only so many ships, man. So I would I would be contacting the people I work with to find out what I can do to make sure that I've I've um I can secure that space. Yeah. Um and then lastly, you know, I I, I would I would not walk around with a respirator on thinking the zombie apocalypse is happening. You know, yeah. It's, just, uh, it's not as bad as people think. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Well, as this continues to develop, much like the, the, the trade agreements, uh, you and I may be talking again. You have a phenomenal perspective. And who the heck knows what's going to happen uh, two, three weeks down the road. And hopefully, it's over. Everybody's safe. Everything's controlled. And we're trying to get back to business as usual. So, I, I can't... I yeah, agreed. Pete, I can't thank you enough for being on the show today. It's been a great perspective, and, and the timeliness of us getting together is is uh, is impactful. So, so thank you so much. And I'd like to, yeah, oh, of course. And I'd like to thank uh, our audience for joining us today on Uptime Logistics. It's powered by Cap Logistics. You can find more information about the show in the description below. And don't forget to like and subscribe to our channel. Uh, and please visit caplogistics.com for your customized transportation solutions. Pete, again, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Take care, everybody. See ya.